This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Travis Bronner. So we're continuing and near wrapping up our series in Ecclesiastes this week. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. There are 12 chapters and we're uh, giving one week to each chapter. Next week we'll wrap up with chapter 12. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for the book uh, of Ecclesiastes. I'm grateful for all of Scripture, of course, but um, about 10 years ago was a time that the Lord really called me to Ecclesiastes and uh, a time when uh, in my mid-30s I thought I was old. Um, and, uh, but in, in, a, in, a, in a sense of hurry, in a sense of uh, even maybe chasing, but the Lord called me to to calm and to enjoyment of life. And so hopefully through this series, uh, you've received some of that uh, as well as we've studied through Ecclesiastes. There's so much wisdom to glean from Ecclesiastes as we dig through it, and a lot of information too, right? I mean, in 12 chapters, and we, gosh, we started in, in the fall, and here we are uh, on the brink of, of spring and uh, still working on this. So a lot to take in. And, and with that said, it's important for me to try to keep things simple because with with uh, so many things, I can overthink things. Are, are there any of you that tend to overthink things? Do any of you know someone who overthinks things and it drives you a little crazy? Yeah. So let me give you an example. Like this picture right here. What game are these kids playing? Tug of war, right? Okay. Shouldn't it be called War of Tug? Follow me. So the tug of war would be the temptation to get involved in a war that is already taking place, like the tug on your will to be in that war. But, but war of tug would be a, like a conflict or a competition where the opponents are tugging against one another. War of tug. Tell me I'm wrong. Right? So the, the problem with that, though, is someone may say, hey, do you want to play this game of tug of war with us? And I'd say, sure, okay, but, but first... Don't you think it should be called War of Tug? And then proceed to explain why I'm right, because I am, that it should be called War of Tug. And eventually they would just, with a, a blank stare, say, can you just grab the rope and pull? It's really pretty simple, right? Because we can tend to overthink things when really we can boil things down. And I believe it's the same as we study Scripture. Again, Ecclesiastes is a long book, a lot of information, and when we study scripture, we should read it, we should interpret it, understand what God's trying to communicate to us through that specific passage in scripture, in scripture and then we should figure out how God wants it, us to apply it to our lives. And, and as we read and we study and we understand, it's important to get into the details of it, but it, when, and when it comes to application, I believe we should keep it simple because we study and we study and we study and we can understand things, but at some point we have to grab the rope and pull. And Jesus taught that. He said the most important thing is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's, he said, and also to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said about these things, this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets were rules for living, right? And it was important for them to know the law and know prophets. But what did he say? This is all very simple, though. Love God and love people. And so as we study and we get all this information, particularly through Ecclesiastes, and I think uh, this applies here, that we can, we can get into the details, but we need to understand when it comes to application, we need to grab the rope and pull. Now, with Ecclesiastes, 
uh, again, having really studied through it, particularly about 10 years ago at a certain point in my life, um, I really kind of came up with what, what I believe is almost a summary statement of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote a lot of the other wisdom writings as well. And I think we can kind of, kind of summarize, in keeping things simple, can kind of summarize the message that we can get all through Ecclesiastes. And it's this, with God, life on earth will be hard. Be wise, recognize blessings, and enjoy. First things first, with God. And Solomon's very clear about that, that, that the most important thing is that you keep God central and recognize God, keep God central to everything in your life. And that's the, the beginning of wisdom, right? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We read that in some of his other writings, right? Understanding that God is central. And then life on earth will be hard. And that goes for all of us, amen? Christian, not. Believer, not. No matter where you live, what time you've lived in, no matter the generation, no matter what, life on earth will be hard. Harder for some than others, we'll say. But regardless, life on earth will be hard. That's just a fact. Next is be wise. This uh, is because wisdom is a commodity. It is. It's a measurable thing. It's something of use, advantage, or value. And it can be measured. It can't be objectively measured with a number. There's no number of wisdom. But, but we recognize when someone has a lot of wisdom and someone doesn't have a lot of wisdom, Right? And when someone doesn't have a lot of wisdom, you know what? They can get more wisdom. It's measurable. And how can one get more wisdom? Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 5. says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see how simple that is? It's quite simple. Now, we pray for a lot of things in our daily prayers and with groups and here at church. Uh, There are things that we ask for, for healing, for provision, things with our jobs, things with our kids and our family. But but in your daily prayers or in any prayer, when was the last time you just simply asked for more wisdom? Because none of us have achieved ultimate wisdom, right? We always have more that we can get. If any of you lacks wisdom, we always have room to grow in our wisdom. Be wise. And when have you last asked? Next is recognize blessings and enjoy. And these kind of partner together for good reason. We studied earlier in, um, in chapter 6 that uh, blessing and the enjoyment of blessing is kind of a twofold blessing. But first of all, we need to recognize that each one of us has been blessed. Last fall, Jimmy Dodd uh, from uh, Pastor Care uh, Ministries spoke to us and talked about this. Um, how if you're listening to this right now, if you're sitting in this room, if you can hear or see me online, then you have wealth and possessions. Uh, From a worldly perspective, uh, you have wealth and possessions. We have all been blessed. And let's let's go even farther than that. A few weeks ago in chapter 9, Scott taught us uh, that, that, that a living dog is better than a dead lion. So if you have breath in your lungs, you have blessing. If you have a beating heart in your chest, you have blessing. We all have something to be grateful for and recognize as blessing. And next is enjoyment. Now, the first step is, in order to enjoy your blessings, you must recognize that you have been blessed. I like to run or bike for exercise, and uh, in the heat of the summer, this can get pretty uncomfortable, uh, especially here in the Ozarks, where the humidity is like 800%, and uh, at 98 degrees outside, that gets pretty uncomfortable. And sometimes there's a breeze, which can be nice, 
But if I'm running or riding with the breeze, guess what? It feels like I'm standing still. And I'm thinking that breeze might feel pretty good if it would go the other way. Or when I turn around and go back, that, that breeze could feel pretty good. But as, I, as I'm going in the wind, if I'm running with the wind, I can't even feel the wind. And that gets uncomfortable in the heat of summer. Then I get back to the landing and next to Lake Tanicomo, which if you don't know, is a very cold lake. And, and there's a breeze that can come right up off of Tanicomo. And after a run in the heat, uh, running with the wind and feeling like you're in an oven, Boy, does it feel good to just stand there next to Tanicomo with a breeze coming off of it and just feeling that cold breeze just blow over you. It's restoring, it's refreshing. That's the enjoyment of blessing. Solomon uses the illustration of chasing after the wind. When we're chasing after blessing, when we, when we have blessings but we want more, or there's something that we think we want, we chase after it. That's being in the 98 degrees running with the wind. But then the enjoyment of blessing is just standing still and letting, letting the wind, that same wind with a little cool air on it, just rush over you. It, it's the enjoyment of blessing. That is the enjoyment of blessing. I'm not talking about standing still like complacency. God calls us to, to strive to work and serve God and others, but he also wants us to enjoy. That, that stillness is the enjoyment of God's blessing. Chasing after more because that cool breeze, if I turn around and I start running with that breeze, guess what? It's not enjoying it. Can't even feel it. That is chasing after the wind, and that's vanity. Vanity is the word that Solomon uses, which means worthless, trivial, hollow. It's pointless. So to enjoy, you must recognize blessing. Now, what are the ways that we can be blessed? What are some things that we can stand and enjoy the cool breeze of? This could be a long, long list. And I'm going to list some things here, but I want you to, to kind of think through some, some other ways that you can be blessed and that you have been blessed so that we can recognize these things. And some of the first things we think of are money and possessions, because Solomon talks about those a lot, and it just seems that it's the first thing that comes to our mind. But, but there's so many things that are far less superficial than money and possessions in ways that we can be blessed. We can be blessed um, with family. We can be blessed by the service of others. Remember, Leader Love Month? So many people that serve us each and every Sunday, and so many of you that participate in that. We can be blessed in our business. We can be blessed in relationships, the loved ones around us, those who love us. We can be blessed in our health. We can be blessed with occupational success, with recognition, people noticing. We can be blessed with attribution, people giving credit for the things that you've done. We can be blessed in our marriage. We can be blessed... How about this one? In our birth origin. Like where you were born. Do you think about that much? If you were born in another time, in another place, another geography, to another family, your situation could be very, very different. And that is something that we can be refreshed by, the blessing of our birth, birth origin. And in that, sometimes opportunity. Have you ever been given opportunity by someone that really changed your life? And how about these? Blessing of the patience of others with you boy, do I need people to have a lot of patience with me a lot of times. Blessed by forgiveness from others. Boy, do I need people to forgive me. Those are a blessing. There's another one, generosity. As I said, we're going to talk about generosity today. Have you ever been blessed by the generosity of someone else? Someone has given you something or done something for you in a generous way, and you just stand there, and you enjoy the cool breeze of that generosity. What a wonderful blessing that can be. Many in this church have experienced the generosity of their church through the benevolence ministry, a ministry that meets the physical needs for those that have it. 
uh, that, that times are rough for them, and, and you, need, you need help at the moment, and your church is here for you in that. And the great thing about that is many people who take advantage of the benevolence ministry are ones that turn right back around when things change, when situations change for them, and they want to be the first one to bless others as they come back around and circle back around in that ministry. Our missionaries certainly have been blessed by generosity, by your generosity, the way that we support ministries and other, other uh, uh, missionaries and ministries around the country and around the world. They have been blessed by the generosity of this church. And how about you? Maybe you have experienced generosity, which has been a blessing to you. But I want to do something here. Same thing Jesus did a lot is flip the script. See, oftentimes Jesus took a, a typical script and flipped it. Like he said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He said, whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and so in that, as we talk about generosity, we want to ask the question, have you ever been blessed in being generous? Because being generous can be a blessing, and that's what chapter 11 is about that we're talking about this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And so let's look then at another list, ways that you can be generous. And obviously, that list is going to sound a lot like the first list, ways that you can be blessed uh, in the ways that you can be generous. And of course, money and possessions is one of the first ones we think of. And again, it's you know, uh, uh, something that, that uh, Solomon talks a lot about in his writings, money and possessions. But also, again, there are so many things that are far less superficial than money and possessions. There are things like service. You can serve others. Wisdom. Some of you have a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom in your life experiences. And you can share that with others. You can be generous with the knowledge that you have and the wisdom that you have that you can share with others. Intellectual property. How about that one? A lot of creators among us creating content and are very gifted at that. And you can be generous with your intellectual property. How about your time? Speaking of commodity, something that is absolutely limited and measurable. How about your abilities? Either your, your, your spiritual gifts or your other talents and gifts and the way that you can serve others and be generous with your abilities. And then again, how about patience and forgiveness? We can be very generous with patience, which is one of the hard ones, right? We can be very generous with forgiveness, another very hard one. There's so many things. Again, the list could go on and on. But I think a simple definition of generosity or things that can be generous would be anything that creates a cool breeze in which someone else can stand and enjoy. Are you a cool breeze in which someone else can stand and enjoy? We can be generous, and we can find blessing in being generous, and that's the point this morning. There's something else that costs you nothing and is of little effort. When we talk about words and actions, we say talk is what? Talk is cheap. Words cost you nothing, and it takes very little effort. You can be very generous with your words in encouragement, in honor, speaking high value over people, in acknowledgement for the things that others have done and the things that they have done for you even. So many ways that we can be generous. Now, let's turn to Ecclesiastes 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn to it. Uh, if not, it's up on the screen uh, or on your Bible app. And let's start in verse 1. We're not going to cover every single verse uh, because we want the time to cover the, the main points that Solomon that the Lord is making through Solomon in this, in this passage. So 11 verse 1 of Ecclesiastes says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And this is an illustration of being out at sea. 
and you have your bread, which is pretty important because it's your sustenance, right? It's very important to you. And what, what we're encouraged here is just cast it out on the waters. Let's not be careless. That's don't hold so tight to it. And, and what does it say? For you will find it after many days. And that's a picture of blessing coming back to you. And this is a message that we find throughout Scripture. It's a repetitive message that we get in Scripture that you give and subsequently receive. And a couple of examples of that repetitive message are first in 2 Corinthians 9.6. It says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is a writing of Paul to the church at Corinth, commending them for their generosity and their gift-giving. And he's pointing out, look, when you give, it tends to come back to you. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then we have King Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, and the writer of much of the other wisdom writings in Scripture. And uh, you may know, maybe you don't know, that when Solomon was a young king, God came to him and said, he said, ask, ask for whatever you want me to give you, is what God said to Solomon. And I'm sure a lot of things come to mind what you might respond to God with in that situation. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. But he went farther than that because he could have asked for wisdom so that he could be respected, so that he could accomplish great things, become the greatest king because of that wisdom, so that he could be revered. But he asked for wisdom so that the people would have a good leader, so that he could lead the people well. He was generous in his request because he was asking for the sake of God's people themselves. And what did God do? He turned around. He gave them ultimate wisdom, but also blessed him with possessions, with money, with, with prestige, with all of those things. And so the second example of, of the cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, the message that we're giving here, and this is very important to be very clear, the message that we're giving across is that God loves blessing generous people. We're not telling that there is a cause and effect here of give and get. Jesus says, it is better to give than to receive. But it is not that we give so that we can receive. And, and this is a tendency, much like the other wisdom writings. Like in Proverbs, we read a lot about things uh, that are tendencies, they're not promises, such as this. Okay? And there are two different messages that you might subscribe to. And the first one you will never hear here at Woodland Hills. Okay? And this is a very important distinction. The first message is, you give, you are generous, God recognizes your generosity, and therefore gives back to you. You see that pattern? And you see the problem with that pattern is that, that, that story, that message, starts and ends with you. Okay? The other message that you'll hear, and this is the one you hear here at Woodland Hills, that's that God calls us to be generous. We want to be obedient to God. You are obedient to God. And then God loves blessing generous people. The, the, the end doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm in the middle of this story. That, that message starts and ends with God. I am simply called to be obedient. And so how do you know if you subscribe to the first or the second? Well, you have to check your motive. And the motive becomes very clear after an act of generosity. And the, the two different motives can look like this. The entitled giver is on the lookout for the reward. So that's the write a check, send a check, and wait for the phone call. That's, that's the give and wait for the thank you. That, that's the recognition 
for, for an act of generosity, an act of service. That's the, I'm going to serve this person or this organization, and then I'm going to scroll looking for the prize, looking for the recognition. That's the entitled giver. But the generous giver is on the lookout for the next opportunity to give. You see that? That's the God calls us to be generous. We are generous. And it doesn't matter from there, but God loves being God loves blessing generous people. The generous, the generous giver is on the lookout for the next person uh, that they can bless. Whom else can uh, I give to? Uh, whom else can I serve? Whom else can I build up? Whom else can I encourage? And this is a heart of what we call stewardship. Stewardship is simply managing something for someone else. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's everything. Everything, I don't know if you know that. It means everything, Right? that exists, okay? So you came into this world with nothing. Even if you inherited great riches from your birthday, you take nothing with you. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You see, that the generous person considers themselves a temporary placeholder for God's blessings. You receive and you give. You manage things well for God and you're generous. It takes me back to this word. I, I know I've shared it with you guys before, but uh, this word deserve. Uh, it's one of my favorite words, uh, not because I think entitlement's good, um, but uh, early on in our marriage, uh, my wife Carrie and I uh, started laughing at this word because we would hear it from time to time. We would find ourselves saying it, deserve, deserve. And when you really dig into the scripture and uh, understand what we deserve, there's a common denominator that we find in Romans that each of us deserves primarily death. That all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Yes, a physical death, but also a spiritual death and a rejection from God, separation from God, which is a spiritual death. And that's primarily what each of us deserves. And when you start with that, everything else is gravy. Everything else is a blessing, right? So the next time one of your kids says, hey, mom, dad, I think I deserve the next iPhone, you say, no, you deserve death. <laughs> Let's start with that. Let's move on. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 2. It says, Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, this, this is addressing the issue of how much do I give? How many times do I give? To, who, to how many people do I need to give? And again, give, we're not just talking money and possession. We're talking generosity, okay, in all of these ways that you can be generous. How, how, how much do I have to do this, really? And uh, there is another pattern that we're finding here. In the same way that when Jesus was asked, how many times do I have to forgive someone? And he, he said, not seven times. When they said, do we, seven times? Is it seven times? He said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus didn't mean 490 times, okay? I, I did that math earlier, by the way. <laughs> he didn't mean 490 times. He meant just keep doing it, okay? You're missing the point. Just keep doing it. And that's what verse 2 is saying. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. There's not a number. What we see is that number is growing because there's a seventh person and then there's an eighth person. And then guess what? There should be a ninth person. You continue as that generous person looking for the next person to serve, looking for the next organization to give to. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, when we, when we talk about how much and, and, and to how many people, it says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's why you hear some people cheer when we say that we receive an offering here at Woodland Hills. 
because God loves a cheerful giver. It's not out of compulsion. This isn't something, giving and being generous isn't something that you have a box and that you check and okay, I've taken care of that, I'm done. You don't serve and you say, okay, I've taken care of that and I'm done. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. It's an ongoing process. Let's look at verse four. And this is a verse that, boy, if ever there was a verse about keeping the end in mind, living with the end in mind. Verse four says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Um, this is an illustration of a farmer watching the weather. Okay, and the point here is if you're watching the weather too much and not down there digging the dirt or, or, or reaping what you sow, then you're never going to get any farming done. Um, I, I'm a planner. Okay, I, I love planning and having a plan. Any other planners? Okay, so I, I, I like to, to plan things out. I like to be organized with what's going to happen do what I can do to control the controllables, right? Um, and and uh, some of you are not. Um, my, <laughs> my wife makes fun of me because I like spreadsheets so much. I love spreadsheets. Uh, who doesn't love spreadsheets? Um, I know. So uh, we're done having kids, but if we were going to have another one, I think for the next one I really might consider the name Excel because um, <laughs> it has a lot of meaning to me. And some of you can identify with that. Some of you are planners like I am, and uh, some of you are just plain sinners. Um, and that's okay. God is quick to forgive. Um, but in that planning, in the same way I can overthink things, I might overplan things and pay too much attention to the wind, to the rain, right? Figuratively speaking. And sometimes those of us that can overplan might find ourselves saying this expression it's not a good time for me to fill in the blank. Not a good time, right? How many times do we say that? It's not a good time for me to whatever. And young people, we hear this a lot. Not a good time for me to what? Get married. Not a good time for us to have kids and so many other things. And that's probably some of the more common ones that we hear. Uh, and and I, I, I do want to say, God wants you to discern whom you marry. God wants you to seek his will about marriage and about having children and, and, and look for wisdom in those decisions, but again, sometimes we can be thinking and planning, and sometimes we just need to grab the rope and pull with these big decisions in life. New job, new career, new degree, you name it. It's not a good time for me to fill in the blank. It's not a good time for me to be generous, right? Well, let me tell you, if you're waiting for the right time to be generous, you've already missed many opportunities. There are a lot of them in your rear view, and you've missed out on them. There's never a perfect time really for anything. You know, young people, seek out a couple that's been married 30, 40, 50 years and beyond, right? Ask them when their fondest memories are, right? And, and they, you may find someone that has had a lot of success, a lot of wealth and possessions, and, and they've been married for a long time. You ask them, when, when are your fondest memories, fondest memories in your marriage? They're going to say what? Right when we were starting out, when we had nothing, uh, my wife and I were just reflecting yesterday. When we first got married, we had a lot of hamburger helper. And oftentimes we just had helper. <laughs> and boy, were those some good times. And then when we contemplated having kids, again, I'm a planner. She's a planner too. I'm like a planner plus. She's a planner. And as we were planning uh, about having kids, man, we, we thought we had it together. We, we knew how this was going to go. Who remembers the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting? Oh my gosh, I call that what to uh, be paranoid about when you're expecting. There is 
No greater expert on parenting than someone who has not yet had a kid. <laughs> You've got to grab the rope and pull. Jump in. Okay, there's never a perfect time. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 5. says, As you do not know the way, the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And I love this because we know how the bones come into the woman with child. We know how a baby is formed in the womb of a child. Solomon did not have the benefit of that knowledge, but, but, but that's not what he's talking about. You do not know the way the spirit comes into the bones. We don't understand how God puts a soul in that baby because none of us has the mind of God. We don't know, and that's okay. We know that God works all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that it's going to be good, and we don't, know, have to, we don't have to know how he's working all things together. You know that I'm a simple person, and um, when I shower, I need three things. Water, a bar of soap, and shampoo. If I just had one of those last two things, I can still get it done. Okay? Um, and, and I need about three minutes. My wife's not the same. Right, guys? When, when I walk into the shower, there, there's a, a tower of various products that I don't recognize. Um, and, and also several other items that look like they came from the Great Barrier Reef. And I don't know what they are. And, and I step in, and it looks like a chemistry lab to me. Literally so many different colors and containers and everything. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this looks dangerous. Um, do I need to be wearing eye protection in here? And, um, but but I, don't, I don't know how those things work or what she uses them for or anything. But you know what I do know? She looks pretty, and she smells nice. I don't know how all that stuff's working. I don't know what kind of chemistry is going on in there, what kind of reactions or whatever else. But I know she looks pretty, and she smells nice. So it is with the way that God works things together for good. We don't have to understand all of that. We don't need to. We just need to know that God's going to make it look pretty and smell nice. The caveat is, in, in, in the workings of God and the way that he works all things together for good, you may not get to see the pretty or smell the nice. But remember, the story starts and ends with God. You are just called to be obedient in the middle. Especially when it comes to money, I believe uh, it's, it should be, generosity should be a three-step process, and it's this, discern, give, and repeat. We, we don't discern and give and then try to retain control of the blessings that God has given that we have passed on in the ways that they're managed and things like that, because that takes place in the discern of who you're being generous to, right? Give, and then repeat. Look for the next opportunity to be generous. And then finally, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes is youthful impulse. But Solomon is encouraging this, right? And so what we know is that youthful impulses can be good. You see, the desire to make money can lead you uh, to provide for yourself and your family and to be a productive member in a community and in a society the youthful impulse to be social can lead you to meet a spouse and foster relationships and develop a community around you. The youthful imp impulse to be influential is how God uh, develops leaders. Youthful impulses can be good, but then look at how he finishes this verse. 
It says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And so we know then that youthful impulses can also lead to destruction because the desire to make money can manifest as a love of money. The, the desire uh, to be social can lead to a dependence on the approval of others. The desire to be influential can lead to a hunger for power and more influence. You see, you can, find, you can discover blessings in proper pursuit of youthful impulses, but you can find judgment in improper pursuit of youthful impulses. And we know from what Solomon tells us here, God will bring you into judgment. Now, the great thing is that with the gospel of Jesus Christ in place, judgment looks very different. You see, there will be earthly consequences. That's why life on earth will be hard. Be wise. With wisdom, we can avoid certain consequences. We can't avoid that, right? There will be consequences. But judgment by God while you are yoked with Christ looks very different. You see, those who are yoked with Christ will receive no condemnation. Condemnation is deemed guilty and worthy of punishment. And for those who are with Christ, there will be a judgment, but there will be no condemnation for those who are with Christ. And so that leads us to grace. This word grace. Grace is the, the boundless measure of forgiveness offered by God. Remember we said that we can, we can be generous with forgiveness, that others can be generous in forgiveness to us. And we see that through our Lord here. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for how many? All to come to repentance. That's the generosity of God. All deserve death. All can come into his grace. God has called us to a life of generosity, but you know what? You can't be more generous than God has been. Let's study the scriptures. Let's know the wisdom that God desires us to live in. But let's also be ready to grab the rope and pull. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for how generous you are to us, most of all through the peace that we can receive with you through Christ. We're grateful uh, for so many blessings in our life that we can stand in the cool breeze and enjoy. Lord, help us to slow down and enjoy uh, the so many blessings that you've given each and every one of us, and more so, help us be in the middle of your story. As you call us to be generous, may we be generous, and we know that, that you love blessing generous people, but Lord, the outcome does not matter. We don't need to know how you're working all things together. We know that we just need to be generous. Father, we love you and we're grateful. And it is the name of Christ that we pray. And everyone agreed and said, amen. amen.